Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is a bonus episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Now, as ever, let's begin by banging these bongos. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Ministry of Arts bonus episode number 32. Today, we're going to be talking to Emma Edmondson, who is the founder of something really quite special, and that is the Other MA, otherwise known as Toma. Now, the Other MA is pretty much what it says. It's a postgraduate course, although unaffiliated, and to be honest, over the last few years, I don't think it'd be too far to say with students on BAs or MAs are being pretty much had over financially and with that learning experience. Well, Toma offers you peace of mind in both of them aspects. So come and join me as I spoke to Emma Edmondson to find out a whole lot more about Toma. Function as a um, gallery space anymore because it is kind of off the beaten track. Like it's in Westcliff and South End, but it's like 15 minutes walk from each train station. So it's studio space. Toma meets here, and um, yeah, it's like some of the artists in in the space here can have like work in progress shows and things like that. But it's it's more like a space for meeting and developing practice rather than showing it off. Yeah. Well. If we just speak about you for a sec. Yeah. Emma Edmondson. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was your little journey into the art world, if you like? Did you grow up with creative creativity in the home? Uh, so I didn't grow up with uh, creativity in the home per se, but I was... Um, I was always drawing, really loved art from a really young age and... and Yeah, I speak about this a lot, actually. I suppose, like, the pivotal moment in my life was when my mum took me to life drawing classes at the age of 11. (laughs) So I used to go um, in my school uniform uh, to the local university, because I'm from Kent, so it was Kent uh, Kent University. They had Kayad there, like, art school. Yeah. Yeah. And... I used to go there on like a Wednesday, Thursday evening. We'd have a McDonald's in the car and then I'd go up and get my easel out um, uh, alongside all these other, um, you know, ad grown-ups, basically. Yeah. Um, and you say life drawing, was it a life model? Yeah, yeah, they were How'd you that at 11? Because that's, that's quite a thing <laughs> to encounter for an 11-year-old. Well, to begin with, I, I left out certain elements. There were there were blank spaces, or I might focus on the shoulder or, or the legs. But you know, after a while, I was like, "This is, you know, it's here for drawing. It's not of a course. sexual object, yeah, you know." But yeah, I mean, my God, it was yeah. Oh, it's, it's all right saying it's not a sexual object, but if you've not encountered it before, <laughs> yeah. then that is totally what it is. Yeah, I mean. So I think, I mean, that was a great experience for me as well. You know, just, um, I suppose, get, getting the confidence to be able to draw those certain elements um, and feel it, and feeling comfortable with it. And I think what was so amazing about um, 
that experience was obviously the the tutor amazing guy called Patrick Crouch I think he's still around he's like an iconic stone carver dude um and uh you know they, we do the crit halfway through but obviously I was 11 years old I didn't know what, <laughs> what crit was. Know what I was all talking about yeah. and they were like turn your work around I was like oh my god and you'd have to turn your work around and everyone would chat about it and he'd just say really nice things about my work and just really encourage me and then after the after the crit halfway through he'd take us to another room where he had like old school slide projector and he'd be drinking his red wine Excellent. and like talking about Matisse you know all the the, the thin thin white male canon per se however you know 11 years old and he's talking about these like Matisse drawings and you know he was like you've got a bit of Matisse style in you and I was like what? <laughs> You know, it's it was wild. So that yeah, really built built my confidence, and also, I think made me made me realise the social aspect of art as well, which yeah. is really important to me. The kind of talking about art and and realising that like these were my people because I yeah I didn't have many friends growing up. <laughs> I was a little weirdo. You know, that's all right. You, it's not all right when well, not you're many eleven year olds walk around with an easel under their arm, do they? <laughs> So I was, you know, I was, I was a bit, I was a bit strange. Um, but yeah, obviously, obviously, as you get older, you embrace that and you realise that's a really you just cool get thing. stranger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at 11, no one wants to be strange, do yeah. they? I mean, absolutely. For me, because I was quite strange at school, all the other little weirdos kind of congregated Ooh. in the art room. So I wouldn't go do the sport stuff. I'd go sit in the art room. And, and yeah, the teachers there were just amazing as well. And 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 I think also that's where I realised like the importance of critical debate as well. Because yeah. I'd get into quite a few fiery, you know, arguments with them about stuff. But then it'd be fine, you know. Yeah. It'd be it, and and I really enjoyed that as well. And and you're so right, you know. I so I'm a practicing artist. I make work um, most of the week but uh, teach in traditional sphere. So I teach in an adult college one day a week and then also um, teach on other university courses and things like that um, and, and run Toma. So for, for me, like, yeah, the importance of education in, uh, yeah, connecting someone to art and making them realise that it's like not an elite thing. It's not for just certain types of people. It is about a different way of, of thinking and accessing yeah. the world, you know? Well, that's um, exactly why I, well, one of the reasons why I started this podcast. Although I'm, I'm not quite a Cockney, being from Essex, a bit of a Mockney, but there, <laughs> there isn't many voices like this one with a background from a council estate or even a prison in the art world so it changed my life and, and we turned it around 180 degrees wow. from being a an, a long-term lifelong criminal yeah. to not not wanting to be part of that world anymore and part of this one yeah and yeah it was I, I figured it was a voice that people needed to hear for anyone who was um intimidated by going up the steps to the tape for instance you know and and like you just said art's for everyone um, but not everyone feels that way. Yeah, and it's in, I mean, I worked at the Tate for six years as a gallery assistant, so like right down the bottom of the fucking <laughs> food chain. 
Um, and I was I was a contractor as well. I wasn't even permanent staff. Um, and that was what those were the most special moments. Was like when you'd, someone would bumble into the room, and they'd be like, "Oh, what what's this? What, what the fuck?" Is the and bullets. I'd, I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, right. Shall I tell you a little <laughs> bit more about it? And you tell them a little bit more about it. Um, and and sometimes they'd go away and they'd come and bring back someone else while you were still sitting there and explain it to their friend. And I was like, yes, like, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Just knowing that someone unexpectedly is taking something away from an area or a subject that they didn't necessarily have much interest in. Beautiful. Absolutely yeah. Beautiful. I love those moments. Yeah. They were really special. So you mentioned Toma there, Emma. Yes. Tell us about Toma. What is Toma? What does it stand for? <laughs> what is Toma? So Toma is uh, the other MA. And I set it up in 2016 as an artist-run project. So uh, I was very pissed off at the education system. I'd gone to an amazing art school. Well, I'd gone to art school in uh, London in 2002, but I quit um, after six months uh, just because there were 600 people on the course. Your studio had to be in a suitcase. Like it was, it 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 was it was not a great situation. It was Central Saint Martin's foundation. It just wasn't for me at that time. I remember going in to have a tutorial and the poor tutor, you know, just had a pile of sheets of paper and they were like, who are you? Oh, okay, this is what you've done. You're doing all right, cool, you know, and that was kind of the only only connection. It felt very surface level. And I suppose, um, yeah, I went on to do some other things. Um, so I was promoting after party club nights um I was really into hard house I did a lot of raving in Kent when I was growing up and uh yeah ended up working for a hard house um promoter called Frantic okay. so he used to do events at Camden Palace the fridge stuff like that so I was 18 and like yeah having a lot of fun promoting these after after club after yeah Sunday morning parties However, that lifestyle was not sustainable um, <laughs> for many reasons I won't go into. And um, I ended up doing a little bit of music PR for a little bit of a wow. while. And then I ended up writing, actually. Um, and text is a big part of my practice. Um, and so I was uh, a journalist, a music journalist at the NME um, and uh, the Daily Star for my sins on the music uh, pages there. And I did that for a few years. But then I got a job at um, The Sun <laughs> on the gossip column for two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Um, I was there for two weeks and I just had an epiphany and I was like, because they made me one one day, they were like, right, Guy Ritchie's having this party. You need to go out with a camera and like try and get into this party. Sure. And and so that, you know, I was it was basically stalking. Right. And, and <laughs> I was early 20s and I was thinking, what am I what am I doing with my life? Like yeah. I love writing, you know, I really enjoy uh, the practice of writing as a creative endeavor, but this just, it wasn't, I'd ended up in this space where it wasn't that before, obviously the sun's politics, you know, we yeah. could yeah. talk about that for an hour. Um, and I, you know, I, I just had this epiphany and quit um, and moved into this 
like bed sit room above this pub in Bethnal Green because I was living in London at the time and just got a portfolio together like um and ended up doing an FDA course at Byam Shaw which was probably the last proper art school before it got eaten up by Central St Martins So that's what really politicised me there. They were shutting Byamshaw down. They were giving everyone their P45s. They were shutting down the library. And this was at the point, um, the, like the 2010 Brown report, when there was a lot of discussion um, around raising fees and things like that. And so I was... Um, I was the course rep uh, for my course and I'd go into these meetings and I'd be like, where's this extra six grand going? Like, tell me, like, why do we have to pay more? What's going on here? So that really politicised me as well as the student protests. Um, And I think, you know, Toma is born out of politics and austerity, like centrally. It's, It's a direct response to the student fee rises, the austerity and, um, I suppose the slow dismantling of creative education yeah. by the government since then, really. I mean, they were um, putting adverts out about people not going into uh, into the arts or at least retraining, wasn't they? Yeah, and also this idea that like the only way to value education is how much you earn once you leave. Like yeah. there's no, you know, we were talking about well-being and social and all of these other um elements that come with having an art practice and having a creative community. And none of that is uh measured in these systems. Brilliant. <laughs> So then, yeah, then I got in to do an MA at Goldsmiths and they cancelled the course uh, a month before it was meant to start with a two-line email. So that pissed me off. (laughs) Why did they stop the course? So the Goldsmiths had all these amazing, like, um, niche art MAs, like art writing, like art studio practice. Yeah, my one was, like, socially engaged practice. and they just stopped them all, I think, to save money, consolidate it all into the art programme. Yeah. And, and so at this point, I was like, God, you know, I I can put, I got a new job to fit around this new MA, all the rest of it. And I, I'd started to see like all MFA and School of the Damned who just set up. And I and I was like, oh, wow, like, is there one of these in Essex? And there was like nothing in Essex. So I, I I was doing some work with Metal at the time in Southend and they're an amazing organization. Um, and I, I went to them and I was like, I got this idea. Like, I want to set up an alternative art school or do you want to set one up? And yeah, they're like, yeah. uh, no, but write a proposal. So I put together this like meaty proposal and they were like, cool, let's try and find some funding. Um, and in passing, they were speaking to this uh, philanthropist dude who actually still funds Toma. Um, and he gave uh, me £5,000 to set up the school. Um, and off I went. Wow. <laughs> like it was. What, what year was that, Emma? So that was 2015. And then we launched in 2016. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And what was the first program like? Obviously, I, I, I presume it's very different from what it is today. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. So we, we I see us as like slippery and eel-like and we're yeah, always yeah. kind of responding to participants' needs or suggestions and things like that. I think rather than being this kind of big monolith that the university is, we tr- we're wriggly and small and nimble. So the, the structure of the programme hasn't actually really changed that much. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very much like a traditional MA or art course. You know, we have visiting artists, workshops, crits, tutorials, uh, critical theory, residencies, exhibitions. And yeah, it, it, in that respect, that kind of hasn't changed. But I always I hand it over to the participants to decide who they want to bring in, what they want to learn that year. So that kind of keeps the programme really fresh. I was going to say vibrant, but I hate that. If it fits, it fits, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, so first first group uh, were fantastic. And actually, you know, we have a new core group that starts each year, but we also have the Tome Associates. So they're people that never want to leave. <laughs> because what happened after the first year people were like we're not finished and I was yeah. like okay we'll we'll set up two parallel courses at the same time and have new people and the people that want to stay on yeah. and then they were like some of us still don't want to leave and that new you were like also we want to stay on so I was like okay we need to set something else up here so we've had people on the program since 2016 yeah, which is great. You know, it's like it's it's like building a little family, a little network. Um, yeah. Oh, you should do an unaccredited PhD then, shouldn't you? To, <laughs> yeah. to go on afterwards. <laughs> I mean, yeah, people have been on it for what is that, sixty seven, seven years, six years? Oh, wow. I don't know my maths. Oh, yeah. so that is pretty much a, a PhD, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, mate, oh, yeah, because at the end of the year, instead of getting a certificate, everyone gets a ceramic sausage on a fork. <laughs> so maybe Super. there's like, what do you get if you've done seven years? We need to think of the next next level award. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> that is superb. The, the cost for, uh, for someone to join Toma, what, yeah. what would that be? We uh, we have two free spaces a year. So we have one funded by Sarah Lucas. Um, she's been funding it, who is a fucking legend. Um, she's been funding it for the past few years, actually, um, and also gave us some uh, money to do some mini commissions when we were in our shopping centre space. So we have a sliding scale of payment, which is on our website. So that's something new we've put in this year because we really want to make sure that Toma as an organization can survive in this landscape. So we make the budget completely transparent to all participants, say like, this is how much we're paying everyone. This is how much um, my time costs to organize it as well. So we have, yeah, we have our sliding uh, scale fee, which starts at 80 pounds a month. And 
people decide what they can pay you know we're not gonna like means test you or anything gross like that it's just literally like this is what it costs what can you pay if you can pay more um please pay more if you can pay the baseline that's also fine but something really important i try and do is um i'm constantly applying for funding for special projects so each year i try and give back a bit of money to the participants through commissions through paid work um, and we've just got a new arts council grant um that will see each of the new toma cohort um uh, get yeah get a mini commission so um they'll they'll be getting you know 300 and odd quid I think towards that which which is good it's not free I wish it was free because I do believe in free education but we're trying to build something that's going to survive and is sustainable and doesn't have to be reliant on funding to run as an education program because it is so hyper competitive out there now yeah. for funding I agree it's, if you don't mind me saying, and, and this is only a personal opinion, when things are free, sometimes some people don't put in the dedication that they would have done or may have done if they were paying for that service. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I've seen that happen when we do free events and everyone signs up to loads of tickets and then you get maybe five people attend. So... I think there is a, a way, yeah, I think it is important, but it's, for us, it's not just about finance, it's kind of becoming part of a system, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean, that works together, that understands how the organisation works, and and also I think it's really important for people to realise how much things cost to yeah. run, especially if they're going to go out and be artists in the world, if they want to go and set up an organisation, like, you know, there's things like insurance, like paying for a monthly Zoom, you know, all of those things kind of top up over over 18 months, which is what the programme is now. Yeah. Well, when I put on my first exhibition, as, as I mentioned earlier, it was like 30 artists. And I was like, well, I'll only need like a couple of hundred quid to cover me. But my God, the amount of hours I put in, it was probably like 20 pence an hour. Yeah. And then if I was to cover my costs for, for the amount of, even on minimum wage, I would have to sort of bung another couple of grand in, you know. And as you say, without them expenses of a bus journey here, a train ticket there, over the course of like putting this show together for three months, it just stacked up and it just wasn't viable after that. Yeah, it isn't viable. And for us, you know, it, and for me personally, I'm always campaigning to get artists paid. Like that is a, a big part of my work, Um with Toma, we have a shared rate card. So everyone's paid the same hourly rate, no matter what they do. We pay for visiting artists travel, any accommodation as well. Um, we always put on a shared lunch. You know, it's all of those kind of things that are, are really, really important. Yeah. I think. And, well, that, and that's what people take away is that sense of community and togetherness, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Like we just like hanging out. Like that's kind of how, and I think, for me, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier and kind of like that elitism and that formalism and it coming from that kind of patriarchal structure, um, education, I would say, uh, traditional, you know, for us, it's like about hanging out. Everyone brings a potluck lunch. Like 
we might go out afterwards as well and sing some karaoke you know that that is the vibe the hanging out is just as important this deep hanging out is just as important as the education and the learning that happens yeah oh I agree that's what's been amazing about Toma as well is we've had you know some really you know high profile artists come down because they're I suppose they're, they're curious about these alternatives you know there's a lot of alternative schools now um popping up which I think is fantastic because I think there needs to be like in the 60s you know there were art schools in every town and city and look at kind of the cultural landscape in England that came out of that came out of the fact that there were art schools you know not just artists but like musicians loads of loads of creative people went to art school so I think there need to be more more art schools you know in Essex Toma's like the only MA-ish provision there's literally not another RMA in the whole of it and Essex is like it's pretty big and so you know we have artists traveling from London as well to come to Toma um and yeah I just I just think more art schools everyone needs to be setting up alternative art schools oh mate you're right I'll make you right 100% how long is the course so it's 18, 18 months. And, and again, you know, going back to kind of that slipperiness and responsiveness, um, we, we made it 18 months because during the pandemic, um, we were tw- we were a 12 month course, but we ended up extending it for two years. So when the pandemic hit, I think we'd been going for probably about five months. And um, I made a decision to pause all the activity that we were going to do in real life and created a made for online program. Um, So we had the amazing uh, artist Morgan Quaintance, um, who you should definitely speak to. He's super cool. And and he uh, took us through some on online sessions. So for for us, it was really about making sure that those artists on the program were held as best they could be, um, and also making sure that they got what they paid for, yeah. you know, yeah. and what they were promised after, you know, after we were allowed to kind of leave our homes again. So made sure that all that activity happened, and that really pissed me off. You know, these big universities not putting on physical shows. It was gross, you wasn't know, it? We but we bloody put on their physical show like we we did it because it's important to have that and we didn't have much money we were almost very fucked for a long time but managed to get some grants and stuff in place to survive and I was just thinking how can these universities just not pause things and then have the in person show oh I don't know you said about the, the meeting up online during um, COVID and lockdowns. That apart, how often do the guys meet up on the course? So we probably meet up about three times a month, sometimes uh, more. We always have an online check-in on the first Thursday of the month as well. So we'll usually meet at weekends or evenings just to kind of fit in around people's caring responsibilities or a lot of the artists work full time as well. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, just, yeah, three, t- three times a month, three to four times a month, really. And what does that entail? Well, you're the, when everyone does meet up. So what does that entail? So yeah, we will meet, um, 
we'll have like maybe a visiting artist um, and that'll be from 12 till five. We might have a, a workshop as well, um, again, 12 till five. So people um, at the start of the course, give me a list of dream artists. They wanna come and visit. And then I reach out to them much like you were doing uh, and just see where I could get and uh, have workshops. And then we have crits as well, which are full day crits. Um, tutorials um, yeah just it's like I said it's kind of like a, tradi a traditional MA really yeah. in that sense and is there an end of year show always an end of year show we've got our interim show on at the moment as well so we have a couple of kind of works in progress um, interim shows during the time too and this year we've got a, a fully funded residency in uh, France nice <laughs> yeah. very nice they pay for everyone's travel and accommodation and stuff like that from a, a generous yeah our generous funder that um, funded us at the beginning of Toma is there a required thesis as well Oh, actually, yeah. Well, no, not a required one, but we do have we have critical theory sessions. Um, so they take place on an evening um, and it's kind of like a pit stop through history of art um, from the Impressionists to now. And then also thinking about um, critical theory uh, and philosophy in relation to people's practice. So there is an option to write a, a longer form artist statement or an essay. Um, and Jeremy Spencer uh then can mark that if people desire. Yeah, Brilliant. but it's not not essential. Yeah, superb. You mentioned there some some timings. I did see on your site that the times that you meet up, and it's it's the most convenient for for people's lifestyles thing as well. That that put a smile on my face. Yeah, just kind of thinking, you know, because like I said, a lot of our artists work full time. Um, so we try to, and I also try and get like all the dates secured well in advance because people have busy lives and family commitments and stuff like that. And they might need to shape, you know, they need to shape their lives around this yeah. program. So always kind of trying, yeah, trying to make sure that nothing changes once those dates are in place. But obviously sometimes they do have to, if um, we get, you know, a big name artist who's like, yeah. I can only come on this day. Um, but yeah, just, just being conscious really and making sure that people can still work and and commit to their you know social lives and family lives and when is enrollment what, what part of the year well I don't know whenever we like whenever we do it really so the current course finishes in March 2024 so we'll probably um do a call out before then to make sure that maybe you know maybe they'll probably start in spring or summer 2024 but yeah we're not beholden to kind of the traditional uh churn <laughs> educational churn of September to July <laughs> and how many do you have on the course so we've got uh tw it's 12 for the current cohort and then we've got 21 artists as associates so Brilliant. those ones that yeah never leave <laughs> and do they pay as well the associates yes so they again pay sliding scale and they can access um the artist talks crits some workshops as well and tutorials and exhibitions so yeah well, and that feels like a thing that that most universities or courses should do because that <laughs> bit at the end of your course when they just open the door and push you out you, you do you you just walk around like well what, what, what do I do now 
Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? That it's like, oh, it's this uh, this is how long it takes to become an artist, and it's like for some, yeah. for some people, like they might need a bit more support or yeah. you know lifelong learning, right? You yeah. know, um, I think that's that's the the main thing is that learning carries on throughout yeah. your whole life so you know we've we've got artists who um are in their 20s and in their 60s so it shouldn't be defined by age or yeah anything like that yeah emma i think that's all my, all my questions asked for sure cool. yeah for sure a little one for you when i when i do a podcast with each artist i ask them a question and one of them that sort of gives the listener a little understanding about them and their practice possibly is yeah. this question if there was you and five other artists past and present what would your ideal group show be that's what most people say obviously sarah lucas um oh, i mean bruce mclean as well because he is an utter ledge and has really supported toma um and I really like his uh, playful performance. Yeah. Rosalie Schweiker, I'm a big fan of okay. as well. Uh, and her stickers and kind of campaigning activist work. My forever collaborator, the wonderful Lou Williams, who I work with creatively on a lot of projects, including Dog Ear, where we make art for dogs. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> who else have I got left I'm just like and Matisse come on let's bring him back I love yeah his just his simple charcoal drawings I'd have some of them up just in a kind of nod to my 11 year old self and my brain exploding when I he saw was, he was the first artist that I took an interest in absolutely fascinated me from the moment I saw him Brilliant. Right, Emma, thank you very much for your time Okay. I'll speak to you again soon and look forward to meeting you in person. Yes. See you soon. Bye. See you later. If you've got an exhibition or any other creative project within the arts, or even just want to promote your own artwork, you could do that in podcast form similar to the one you've just listened to. They start at a convenient price point that is comfortable for any artist working on a budget. This podcast itself is created by working artists and we know how important that is. So to find out more information, you can email us on ministryofartsorg at gmail.com or on Instagram at ministryofartsorg. Ta-da!